0: Author Ray Bradbury once said, Write a short story every week. It's not possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. In this podcast, we'll find out if he was right and what we can learn from writing a lot of short stories in a short period of time. My name's Katina French. I'm a best selling published author of steampunk, space opera, and paranormal romance. In 2020, I'm taking Bradbury up on his challenge. Each episode, I'll share this week's story and what I've learned in the process. Welcome to the Bradbury Experiment. Hey friends and experimenters, welcome to what I have decided to call season two of the Bradbury Experiment. Because it's not like anyone can stop me. I was still beating myself up a bit about not successfully producing 52 straight weekly creative writing podcasts during a global pandemic, a national civil rights reckoning, and the most stress-inducing election since the last one. But then I got a grip. I realized that a person who is not me might think that 13 episodes is actually a pretty decent season of content on a normal year. A lot of podcasts seem to work like Netflix series. A typical season is 8 to 12 episodes or so. Or else they release bi-weekly or monthly or, you know, something that's not weekly for an entire calendar year. So yeah, welcome to season two. This week's story wasn't actually written for public consumption. It was written as a backstory for a D&D character, which is why I probably won't ever submit it to any publications or even spend a ton of time polishing it, but it's a good chance to talk about the fact that there are lots of other reasons to write stories besides getting them published. If you play D&D or other tabletop role-playing games, writing little short stories can be a great way to flesh out your characters. If you're working on a novel, script, or screenplay, a short story can be a lightweight beta version to build towards the larger piece. You can write short stories to help understand your protagonist, or better yet, your antagonist or secondary characters to help give them more depth. You can write short stories to help develop your setting, or to get a minimum viable product version of the plot worked out. Short stories can also just be craft practice on a particular skill, like description or dialogue or characterization. These stories are valuable, even if you never intend to show them to anyone else. In fact, sometimes just the knowledge that you don't intend to show a piece to anyone else can lead to taking risks and getting out of your comfort zone, which can really improve your writing. And since we're mixing things up, this episode we have a special guest narrator, my husband Chris. So without further rambling, I invite you to enjoy The Devil You Know.
1: If there was one thing you learned growing up in Fernie, in a city of humans, elves, and dwarves, it was how to run and hide. The other races each had their own particular style of self righteous piety, but they all agreed that in Fernie, however many generations they might be removed from their demonic ancestry, were all unholy abominations. The adults would spit devil spawn, fiendling, and other ruder epithets at you twisting their fingers into obscene warding signs. Children and adolescents, lacking the eloquence of their elders, relied on simpler, more ancient methods of ensuring you understood your place. Solemnity knew how to take a beating. Any inferno did, or they died. At times she wished they were right, and she actually could call upon the dark powers of her ancestors to char them with hellfire and brimstone. Alas, the magic had all dried up from her bloodline ages ago. She could keep her long pointed prehensile tail wrapped tightly around her body so as to not tempt anyone to try chopping it off. She could use her curling horns for defense without getting killed or imprisoned for injuring her attackers. But it was better to avoid a beating if you could. At 20 summers old, she was very good at avoiding them. If you had money, you could buy a back-alley glamour from a demi to hide your indigo skin, yellow eyes, and horns. If you were poor, and Solemnity was very poor, you made do with whatever camouflage you could manage, and stuck to the shadows. This was how she'd attracted his attention. The Fey lord of the wild hunt did not spend much time observing mortal cities, There was ample iniquity among the woodland villages to provide him with worthy prey. Each full moon, one of his court would flush out their quarry. A poor farmer or blacksmith whose shame over some hidden crime cried out like the baying of hounds. They would run the creature to ground, then drink down the liquid light of its soul like mortal hunters consuming the blood of a fallen stag. But one night, a mortal whose being sang with the melody of pursuit called out to his very nature. She dragged his impassive gaze from the wild hills to the broken alleys of East Haven. His desire to seek out that which longs above all else to remain hidden pulled him like a magnet to a lodestone. It was that lust for pursuit which truly fueled the wild hunt. The guilt of the prey merely added savor to the feast kept the mortals from complaining to their gods not that many were full enough to speak ill of the fair folk even if they felt ill used he found her easily enough the first time crouching in the moldy attic of a tumble down house in the part of the city that had never recovered from the last cycle of plague and cleansing fire he stood observing her through the eyes of an owl perched on a rafter another night hunter his vassal to possess. The infernal girl was hardly a paragon of virtue, but she had a surprising lack of shame. In her mind, she had paid for her sins in advance, with suffering being her currency of exchange. Looking back across the weft and weave of her life, he must admit she had a point. Still, her soul was tainted enough that he could claim her as his rightful prey. His court rarely hunted from among the city-dwellers, but why should they be any, have any sanctuary? Did not the rat-catcher prowl the streets for vermin to keep illness at bay? Did not the bats sweep the street-light beams clean of moth and mosquito? Were they not his vassals as much as the huntsman in the vale who calls the weak and the damned? And yet, some part of him grudgingly admired the dirty little urchin— Like a hind who had grown to great strength, she had evaded a hundred cruel pursuers in her short life. As sweet as her soul might be, he found to his surprise the idea of taking it repulsed him. But neither could he ignore her. Then he hit upon the perfect solution. First a test. If she passed, a boon. Solemnity had seen many strange things in her twenty years. The city was a place of wonders, but none so peculiar as the night a great owl flapped down from the rafters of her current hiding place, fixed her with his wide golden eyes, and spoke with the voice of a man. No, not a man. One of the fair folk in disguise. Even a city girl knew that when a beast spoke like an aristocrat, One of the courts had decided to meddle with mortals again. He offered her a challenge, one with a stunning reward. She likely should have refused. Only fools made bargains with the Fae. But what did she have to lose? Her soul? What good had her soul ever done her anyway? So she nodded, and the owl screeched, clawed, and flew away with a few precious drops of her blood the hunt began. Each full moon, he sent a new hunter to pursue her. He sent greedy humans with their hounds, dogged persistence, and tangled nets of gossip and spies, but none could catch her. He sent elves with their ageless, unfaltering alertness and preternatural senses, and somehow they fared even worse. He sent dwarves who could see in the blackest night and feel a footstep on cobblestones fifty paces away through heavy boots, but not one caught a fleeting glimpse of her. A year passed. She wondered who he would send next. She was not prepared for the hound who crawled under the wreckage of a tradesman's cart, dug its way through a pile of week-old garbage, and slammed his body against the door of the abandoned cellar where she lay until it shattered beneath him. It looked up at her, its liquid brown eyes sadder and more ancient than even the owls had been. That's not fair. All of the other hunters were mortal. Her protest was half-hearted at best. Deep down she'd known that fair folk will always find a way to win, even if they had to cheat. That aristocratic voice again, "'I said you must evade the most skilled hunters. "'I never promised I wouldn't be among them.' "'Fine,' she grunted. "'You win, I lose. "'That's how things generally work out for me.' "'She gave him a hard stare, "'but he could see the fear behind it. "'Perhaps,' he said, "'you did evade every mortal hunter I sent, "'and it seems a shame to waste such a skill.' I would not have said I would not have it said that the lord of the wild hunt fails to honor his word her dark blue skin paled at his title ah so she thought she dealt with some minor court noble some fair one having a lark i will give you the boon you sought the power to summon wild magic and a chest of gold but it comes with an obligation what kind of obligation. Not that it mattered. There was no possibility of calling it even, not without horribly offending a powerful fae lord. She could no more deny the obligation than she could refuse the reward. A shimmer of light crossed the hound's form, and suddenly the lord of the wild hunt stood before her, hunched a bit under the low ceiling of the cellar. As I have learned these last months, I have ignored the cities of mortals for far too long. Worthy prey there is to be found here. I would have you as my scout. Each month I will call upon you. You will place my mark upon some sinful creature, some two-legged vermin who has escaped my justice. My court and I shall have good sport of him chill ran down Solemnity's spine. She thought of her many, many tormentors, of the many beatings she had taken, enough to get very good at taking a beating, enough to get very good at avoiding them. She smiled and stuck out her hand, bowing low before the lord of the fair folk. The agreement suited her very well indeed.
0: you've enjoyed this first episode of season two and also enjoyed getting a little change of pace with the voiceover. I'm probably going to continue to play with the format over this season. After all, what's an experiment without a little trial and error? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bradbury Experiment. You can visit my website at thatdarncat.com thatdarncat with a com, to see show notes and more information about my other work. And if you're interested in doing a Bradbury experiment of your own, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at CatFrench or on Instagram as KatinaFrench.